bringing to you the stories that have never been told, the news that has yet to unfold, and the voices you have not heard. This is the Caribbean Cannabis Channel, where we meditate and educate on all things ganja within the Caribbean region, with your host, Prophet Nati. Yo, peace and love, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Caribbean Cannabis Channel. Always a pleasure having you and always a pleasure having a guest on our podcast as it's always an opportunity to, one, educate while we meditate, as you all know how we do, as well as it's always a chance for persons to expand the horizon as to what they know about the cannabis industry, who they know within the cannabis industry, those who you may not necessarily see all the time, but they are pushing the needle removing the stigma, fighting the cause, as well as educating others and sharing the experience from various perspectives. Today, we have the pleasure of having someone with who, who, who is going to be offering a bit of a new perspective, as well as he does come from a finance and banking experience. As you know, the cannabis industry is a bit funny with, with that section, so we'll be able to kind of understand what happens behind the scenes there. As well as I'm glad to have a fellow podcaster on as he is also the host of the Elevate Your Mind podcast. And we'll be sharing his, his social media links and content for you to, to follow along as well via links as well as he would share throughout it. But enough of the small talk. Allow me to welcome our guest for this episode, my, my man Todd. Todd, how are you today? Dude, I am doing great. Thank you for that wonderful uh, introduction there. Yeah, my pleasure, man. My pleasure. Always glad to, to introduce people and I always try to add own flavorful touch and not necessarily speak to the position of the individual, but more so the knowledge and the expertise that they, they can bring. Yeah, so where are you joining us from today? I live in Florida. So we... Uh... Not the greatest cannabis market. I mean, we got some good weed here, but 22 companies basically control the entire state um, looking to expand that. But it is a pure medical program. Um, it's coming along, but it's nothing like California, Michigan, those those nice states where you have a lot of choice and some great brands and some great quality. Wow, interesting that you say they are essentially controlling. So how does that operate in Florida? Is it that they, there's multinational corporations that buy off smaller farms or how, how does that work with, with their business? Um, so in the state of Florida, when they legalized cannabis, they did forced vertical integration. So what forced vertical integration means is every cannabis license, you're responsible for taking the plant all the way from seed to sale. So from putting the seed in the ground all the way to putting in the end product in the customer's hand. Originally, they gave out like, I don't want to, I ballpark numbers, 13 to 15 licenses. And they sat on that for a while. Then they gave out like another seven, taking the total to 22. Um, and so there have been 22 companies essentially that control all of the cannabis in Florida. So, you know, realistically in Florida, we ha you're starting to see a lot of brands come in, but it's more of either a genetic or um just brand licensing deal in florida at the end of the day it's still being cultivated by those 22 companies mm -hmm. so to your point most of the companies that we have down here in florida at least the ones that have a larger presence are the same public companies that you see on the canadian stock exchange right? okay your your trulies your cure leaves your heirs your your um cannabis if you will um but we're starting to have some smaller players come in but because of the scarcity of this license and essentially this license giving you the ability to have unlimited cultivation and an unlimited retail. So the upside is unlimited, if you will, you know, outside of the competition. Um, these licenses are going for upwards of 75 to $150 million, Damn, like wow. $75 million just for the paper. So, you know, it's a heavy investment to, to come into the state right now. So we're not at a point really where craft cannabis can come in the only way it's coming in right now is what they're doing are these like jv deals with the existing cultivators and where they're bringing their people in so like for example if we take TrueLeave, you know alien labs and connected has a deal with TrueLeave. and now i'm not intimate with the details of that but just from what i can gather is that alien labs and connected either hired and trained or brought their own people in that are now truly employees that grow the alien labs and connected genetics for truly right so 
it's even though it's all truly badged, it's alien labs coming in and doing the work or putting the SOPs in and training the people and, and connected. Um, that's the only way we're really seeing any kind of craft cannabis come in. But then, you know, like anything, when you have that good quality weed come in, it starts to be in high demand and then you got to keep up with it and figure out how to scale mm -hmm. that. Right. So, you know, our market is very interesting. There are, there's legislation. They're about to give out another 22 licenses. The issue is, and I know I'm rambling here, but it's just kind of where the state of Florida is. The issue is with these 22 licenses is once they're issued, people are going to sue because 74, 75 people or 77 people applied for it. So a lot of people spent a lot of money and didn't get a license. They're going to sue. And historically, the state has not uh, distributed those licenses until those lawsuits have been settled. So we don't know how long it's going to be. And then on the flip side of that, uh, Trulieve has put in putting a lot of money behind a recreational um uh, making it re uh, recreationally legal in Florida, but keeping the structure as it is. So allowing the 22 and then the soon to be 44 to continue to operate the way that they do, but making it recreational, not just legal. And I mean, candidly, no matter how Florida goes recreational, it's going to be a six, seven, eight billion dollar a year market. No, no problem. Now it's, it's interesting that you say that because even though, uh, each state or each country has a different cannabis industry. You you tend to get a lot of similarities, and you just mentioned having a lot of foreign investors or foreign um, companies coming and setting up in Florida. So, in terms of social equity as it relates to that, how like what's the ratio of market share versus foreign investors coming in opposed to local? person from florida setting up shop well it it's not foreign investors it's it's they're american companies it's the american multi-state operators it's just because they can't list on the american exchanges they list on the canadian exchanges so they're american companies i mean it truly was started in florida they dominate the state of florida but now they're a multi-state operator because they've expanded into i believe nine states um so that's what we're seeing is because of the so originally when Florida legalized it, I believe the requirements had to be that you had to have operated in the state as a farmer or nursery for the past 30 years um, was one of them. And then there was a bunch of financial stipulations and things like that. So it was very clear who the licenses were intended for. They did something called the Pigford license, which was also known as the Black Farmers license. So at one point they had to do licenses specifically for social equity. Those have been awarded. Um, but like I said, the problem with those licenses and the social equity licenses is in Florida, it requires a shit ton of capital to, to start to operate because you, right off the bat, you have true leave that has 130 locations behind them is moved with maybe 72 locations. And then you've got a lot of others that are in the fifties and the thirties and the twenties. So it's not like, you can open one or two stores and like really you start to trip away. You can't bootstrap in Florida. On top of that, for these farmers, just the paper itself is worth so many millions of dollars that it's more lucrative for them to either, you know, exit most of the license or to, to flip it. So, you know, that's the problem with social equity in Florida is there's no, that's a lot of capital to raise for someone who's never raised capital. Before. Yeah, that must be tough. So how, so how do persons get support or go about finding investment in a state like Florida? It's, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, it's a good question, man. I mean, you know, there are people that want to invest in Florida, but the pro if, if you're going to go to Florida, you have to have deep top, deep pockets. Like you need a hundred million dollars to compete here. It's, you know, it's a big state. It's a big geography. A lot of it, you see the, 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 the blueprint, I think flowery kind of set the blueprint of how you build scrappily in Florida. They started out with, statewide delivery they had no stores and they did that for a really long time now that wasn't the best option and that's not how they grew once they had retail they really started to get hold so they opened the store in miami continued to do statewide delivery and they were able to use their delivery service to see where they should be opening up stores because they can see where their sales are so now what you're seeing is 
Um, Goldleaf would probably be the next big player that have come into Florida that's trying to build their business scrappily as well, too. So they have two cultivations. They have a beautiful retail store in Sebring, Florida, which um, is not in the best of locations, but it's near the cultivation and it settles a requirement from the state. And that's what they're doing as well, too. Not statewide delivery, but they're delivering to a majority of the state um, as they're going to be building out retail stores. So that, you know, that seems to be the only way to bootstrap in Florida. But, you know, now you're in a play for all these brands that are coming coming in from California and you have licensing deals on the table. And being on the other side of that conversation in a past life, right, like, it's hard for a brand to commit to you if you're not going to have a giant retail presence in Florida, because when you look at Florida as a state, you see what the upside is. You see what the market share is as a brand. And if this operating partner that you're going to sign a deal with doesn't have a significant chunk of that, that market share, well, your chunk's going to be even, even smaller. So, you know, it's, it's tough competition here, man. Like they need, I would love to see vertical integration get broken up, or I would love to see, the amount of licenses grow exponentially to a thousand, twelve hundred, something like that. Allow regional players to come in, like the best place in South Florida, the best place in Central Florida. Like, you know, it, it would be nice. I'm not saying we have to break up Truly or break up any of the ones that already exist. Let them exist in the form that they're in, but you know, let there be a lot more competition. And then the front, the frontiers. Uh, one thing I've seen that at least in our region. So for Jamaica, Barbados, etc. There's usually a system set up where it's tiered to allow persons from varying financial backgrounds. So whether you want to be one of the major players, one of the major market holders in the country, you can do so. But if you are someone you you're just starting up, you are not somebody versed in raising that amount of capital. There's a tier for you to start start from and and move forward with. So I think. That's one of the things that we in this region have looked at America, um, Canada at and see, okay, what could we do differently to sort of level the playing field and allow more competition um, to, to take place. So I, I'm hoping to see, see, see that level out um, from what you were explaining, how um, Florida's competition and how the market is there. Uh, from just looking and you probably wouldn't guess that this is happening behind the scenes or how you can be versed in the market, but these are all vital pieces of information. So I, I thank you for, for sharing that. Oh, of course, man. I hadn't talked about the Florida market all day long. I mean, I'm by no means an expert. I just, I look at a lot of menus all day because I'm <laughs> also a customer. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it's about because I, I think once you are, you coming from a place of being a consumer as well, you, you have a oh, yeah. different lens outside of just having a business lens on, you're able to understand, okay, what it is that I am looking for. Like if I was in that shoes, what kind of product I would deliver, what type of brand I would try to, to create, etc. So it, it's funny you say that. Um, when I first got into to cannabis, I want to say this is early 2020, I'd gone out to Colorado um, on a due diligence trip. I was due diligence and company out there helping them raise money for an acquisition. And a friend of mine, colleague of mine, had told me about another company that they wanted to invest in. And this particular company that he was talking about had 100,000 square foot grow. I think they had 70,000 active. They were acquiring another 30,000. And you know, he was telling me that this is the future of cannabis, this place. And he was going to put a decent amount of money in there. And I had gone out and I had seen this other facility. Um, and it was amazing state of the art they took a very scientific approach to it it was an indoor grow and they had like 30 or forty thousand uh square foot of canopy and then i went and i toured the other facility the other facility had pots on the ground they was just big warehouses like lights sprawled all over the place the other the place that we had seen before was like so precision and then you, the way that they set it up is there was a tour and you, you ended in the dispensary, almost like the gift mm -hmm. shop, <laughs> get off the ride. Right. And, you know, they had all these different brands and they had the pre-rolls and they had the hash holes and all this stuff. And 
it was such a great experience. Now I'd been to plenty of legal dispensaries before, so the dispensary wasn't that impressive. But this other gentleman told me when we toured this facility and you looked, they did essentially deli style weed and they had like bottom shelf, mid shelf, top shelf, and a couple strains okay. each. And people were just coming in, they were getting a bunch of weed and leaving. And I was looking and I'm like, I look at him and this place that had a hundred thousand square foot of canopy was putting out uh not that much more weed than the place that had thirty or forty thousand square feet. So they weren't being nearly as efficient. And then on times the weed wasn't nearly as good. It was a lot drier. Like they didn't put the tender care into it that this first place was. And I'm looking and I call this guy. I'm like, and I think this is where it comes from the consumer because I go and I buy weed and I know what I enjoy in a dispensary experience. He does not. He's just like an old school weed guy. He thinks it's cool. He hits a vape pen. Like, you know, like good for you, the people that are doing the vape pens and everything else. Like, I don't like them. That's not my thing. I'm a weed guy. I'm a flower guy. So, and I call him and I'm like, bro, you can't put a dollar into this company. Like, I've got other ones I can show you, but just promise me you're not going to invest in it. And I had to talk him out of it because I don't think people saw that, like, weed is not just this. I need a bag of weed thing. Like we all remember that movie grandma's boy where he's like, yo, I got the, the bling, the bling, bling, the deer shit, the Frankenstein <laughs> shit. Um, he doesn't need him. Doesn't him everything. He's like, yeah. Yeah. He's like, I just need a bag of weed, man. And you know, and I think the older generation, because that's what they experience, That's what they think it is. But no, like we are like wine connoisseurs, right? Like we want to, look at it and smell it and taste it and enjoy it and like know how it was grown is it organic living soil is it indoor is it sun grown where did it come from what strain is it what the lineage is like i never understood these people that were so into wine i'm like it's booze don't get me wrong i love wine i like good wine i'm not i don't get it enough to follow it but then when 2016, when I walked into my first legal dispensary, I started to understand it because weed became my wine. And I think that gives me the cost of the, I was talking to a friend of mine earlier today and I said, you know, weed became my hobby. And because I loved it so much and discovering all the different strains and the terpene profiles that I enjoyed because I knew there were certain effects that I liked from it and certain that I didn't depending on time of day or whatever it was. Um, by doing that research, it gives, it gives me unique insight into the industry and into what people want. And then on the other side of that, like I am a consumer. So when I go to different markets, I go and I shop and I like, so <laughs> Again, I know I'm ranting here, but these are stories. No, yeah, that, that's what we love, right? man. These story, the stories is where the real, the real sources. Yeah. So, so like, just to give you an example, when we were building, I, I co-founded, the, I was a co-founder of the brand Heisman from, from NFL running back Ricky Williams. And one, I was on a trip to San Francisco and I was there over the weekend. So it was a Sunday. So technically I had the day off, but I think I went to 12 to 14 dispensaries that day, just shopping. And because I love it. I love doing that. I love nothing more than landing in a new market, dropping my shit off at the hotel and going to like not one, but like two or three dispensaries and just seeing what they got. And I, I'm looking at the menus before I fly there. I went to the Benzinga conference in Chicago. We talked about that a week before the conference. I'm on three different dispensary websites looking to see what they have, looking to see what's popular, what brands are there. And I think because I'm just such a, diehard consumer that that gives me the ability to see this industry as a lot of people do not correct because they just kind of stay in their lane they they, they don't want to explore everything yeah it, it's glad that, i'm glad that you share that because I, i've been seeing a lot of talk about persons who are not necessarily consumers or have not been around the plant and just jumped into the industry because they have the capital and just start growing so there's where you get a lot of a lot of herb that isn't of top quality because you do not know what consumers are looking for because you yourself are not a consumer. You are not interacting with the consumers on that level because sometimes you you need to be on the ground a lot of the times and mix that on the ground expertise with your business mindset to see how you can get the best of both worlds. But I think in this industry, it's more than just being a consumer, Right. 
because there are a lot of people that are consumers. There are plenty of people that are still consuming the black market, right? Um, backing that up as far as the consumer comment, right? I do believe for certain positions in the industry, you have to smoke weed in some way, shape, or form. You have to understand the product. You have to understand what you're selling. You you have like, and I believe that everybody in the company that the brand should at least try the product at one point in time, even if it's not your thing. That's that's my belief. I don't think it's a requirement, but I think that you should. <laughs> yeah, I'm, it's um, a, there's different forms of consumption as well. So if it's not necessarily smoking, yeah. you could try something else. Yeah. But like, you know, the people on the finance team, the HR, they don't, they don't need to be consumers. Like, so I think the thing that bugs me, I think what, what bugs most people is there are a bunch of people who just had money and they started weed and they're not in it for the right thing. But what I would love to see is some a lot of these ex-Wall Street people, instead of trying to do it on their own and trying to play a character, is to partner with the people that actually know what the fuck they're doing on the weed side. So bring in an OG, bring in a legacy person, let them run the cultivation, let them run the weed side, you run the business side, and that's the match made in heaven, right? So, you know, I want to see more of that. And I think that is hopefully what drives the industry forward. I think depending, you know, like not everybody in the company needs to be a consumer. I think if you're a brand, then the leader of that company needs to be a consumer. I think if you're a cultivation, obviously almost a no brainer, but you know, for anything that's ancillary, I don't think it's necessary. If you're going to be a lawyer or accountant, you're going to uh, insurance, HR, or whatnot. Um, but being more than a consumer. So I recently was turned on to the TV show, the bear. And I don't know if you guys have in Jamaica, it's on Hulu. Um, and what the bear is, it's about a gentleman who was a chef in like one of the best restaurants in the world. And his brother, unfortunately, commits suicide. So he takes over the family restaurant, which is an Italian beef restaurant. And second season, he ends up opening his own restaurant because turns out his brother wanted to go into business with him and never happened. The point of this is, in one of the episodes, basically says, like, you have to go out into the world and try all this other food. You have to experience it. You have to you know, go find these people that are inspired. And when it came to food, they're like, the best food you eat is not the food that was created with the best technique or the best craft. It's the food that's inspired. And I think it's more than just being someone who smokes weed or consumes weed to be educated on this industry. I think you have to go out there and you have to, like you said, be on the street. You have to go to the dispensary and you have to go, go to the dispensary and you have to buy an ounce with an eighth made up of different brands. You have to go try the pre-rolls. You have to try everything that's out there and you have to be curious about it. And you have to go through the whole experience. And I think that's what gives people a true advantage. Like if you're just, if you're in the industry and you're just going to your local dispensary and you're buying your same brands and your same products, like, or if you're only even really only experiencing your own market, you're not, so it's gotta be more than that. You can't just, you know, drive down to the dispensary 10 minutes from your house, get the same four strains that you love and expect to understand the cannabis industry. You're in such a pocket of it. You have to go everywhere and figure out what it is. Like you go to California and you can immediately pick out the brands that the tourists are going to buy and the brands that are real. If you actually have a conversation. Right. And I know like lol smokes don't, get me wrong like not the best weed in the world but some of the best packaging and the best marketing and they got me good when i went out to california the first time like they're phenomenal joints phenomenal packaging i won't talk shit about them they put out a great value brand but you know i thought it was the best weed in the world when i smoked it the first time because they had great marketing and then i got to try brands like connected and alien labs and cbx and I'm like oh my god this is fucking amazing i had that same that same um perspective shift there's only a couple of years back when I started to look at cannabis uh, differently than just, as you said, smoking, I actually wanted to see what what is the whole view of cannabis from grow, from growing it, from, as I said, consuming different products from different growers, different farmers, to, again, get that full understanding and scope of the plant and how you interact with it. And it, as you grow, it evolves with you. And you take up a different approach of interacting with it, which I, I, I love and I've always heard persons share that experience as well. At least those who are in it for 
the right reasons or develop the right reasons because a lot of the times you don't start off smoking with with the best of intentions or the most responsible method of, of consuming. You just start off because on a whim or for a medical reason, etc. But it, it, it goes so far, man. So it's, it's great that we could talk about that aspect of the consumer side because that's something I think a lot of people overlook, especially as the cannabis industry is booming and it's becoming more accessible. We still need persons to share how how consuming can be done in a responsible manner for you to get that holistic experience and not just make it about being high and being a stoner. I mean, that's all well and fun at times, but I, it's so much more than that and so much more we could unlock and unravel. Here, so here's my problem, and I'm a huge perpetrator of this, so I'm, I'm definitely to blame as well too, is whenever we all talk about the cannabis industry, we, talk, we basically talk about the smoke and weed part of the industry. And don't get me wrong. I love the smoke and weed part of the industry. I've got joints in front of me here. I've got weed. I've got a Dr. Dabber over there. Like, I love it. Don't get me wrong. But this industry has so many more parts to it that people don't realize that are just what the world needs, right? And I, I say it, obviously, I'm American, and I, I, I look at what my country needs a lot, too, and, and what made us great originally, right? And I think this this permeates throughout everywhere, is when you look at the things that just the cannabis plant in general can do beyond just the high THC weed that we we can get off of it, right? Like we could talk about the medicinal purposes of it. So you have the the smoke and weed part of the industry. You have the medicinal part of the industry where you have people that are researching it and trying to isolate, isolate cannabinoids and even stupid things like someone figuring out that CBN is really good for sleep and it kind of helps you there, right? Just that's a huge step towards, you know, true cannabis for medicinal use. And I love to see the progress that's going to happen there too. I want somehow the the smoke and weed part of it to get decoupled from the medicinal part of it. But the thing is, it's the same plant. So it's really hard to fucking regulate the same fucking plant five different ways because then beyond the medicinal part of it, you have the, you know, you have CBD, you have the nutraceutical part of it where it can be the over-the-counter stuff that's not psychoactive, that's still good for people to take, right? And then beyond that, you have the industrial hemp, which is one that nobody's fucking talking about for some reason. Why this isn't the biggest thing since sliced bread, I don't understand. This hemp, throughout history, things have been made of hemp, things high quality, textiles, uh, steels, plastics can be made out of hemp. They're all biodegradable, right? Like we're in a world where if you want to make money right now, or if you want to get a decent job, you have to understand computers and networking and things like that. And all of a sudden we now have this product that the world can take and they can grow and they can make all this shit that's not sustainable, sustainable out of it. And we're not all investing in that for some reason, that that's the part that blows my mind. So when I look at like our country here, the United States, and I'm sorry, I'm greedy here, but you know, we, we were a manufacturing company after during the wars and after the wars. And that's, what's kind of made us great. And then we kind of went into a services company and now we are a country. Now we have, you know, all these tech companies and I was in tech. I did enterprise technology for 10 years, but you have to have an intricate understanding of computers and coding and all that to really be successful in that world. This is bringing back blue collar jobs. These are jobs that anybody can do. As long as you're willing to work hard, you can farm, you can grow, you can trim, you can process, you can work in a factory, you can manufacture, and these jobs should pay pretty damn well. We're bringing back trucking jobs. The trucking industry was is slammed in our country, right? Like, so all of these things, and then there's a new industry that brings in more taxes and everything else. And again, and I don't just believe that it's the United States that can benefit from this the most. I think the entire, you know, Western hemisphere of the world can do so. And we're not, you know, the decortification process is being figured out. We, the, 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 the Ford Model T, the fenders were made out of hemp. You know, these are the things that, in 70, 80, 90 years of prohibition do. And that's truly like as much as I want to work in the smoke and weed side of the industry and I love working for a brand and I love smoking, like I am so excited to see that part of the industry advance. And it pains me that I remember having conversations about it with people three years ago and I have not seen any advancements. Like 
I saw somebody come out with a pair of jeans that was 50% cotton, 50% hemp. Like, congratulations. I don't know if you guys have. Do you guys have this in Jamaica? Did you guys outlaw plastic straws yet? Plastic. Yeah, we have full outlawed plastic straws at one Either the paper straws are a giant pain in the ass, Yeah, right? always melting in your in drink. Why don't we have hemp plastic straws? Like, why is that not a de facto standard? Why is there not somebody who is the the hemp plastic straw billionaire that's just sitting on a beach collecting money because everyone's using hemp plastic straws? Those are the things we should be looking into, if, definitely. So whoever's mm-hmm. listening, you can beat me to the punch. You can start the hemp plastic straw business, and you will be a billionaire. Mark my words. Put this in. And if you do become a billionaire, make sure you look me up and just give me the credit. I don't even need the money. Just give me the credit out, yeah. for giving you the idea. Yeah, man. No, we definitely, definitely need to explore and share more of that side of the industry. Because as you said, it's definitely, it's unrecognized and it's un- untapped. There are persons who are expanding inside of it, but there's no media coverage at all about it. Everybody's all about the recreational, the medical so uh, there, I know there's a few countries who have, at least in the region here, we have Belize as well as Guyana. They have um, begun legislation allowing uh, manufacturing of hemp products, etc. So looking forward to see how those industries um, flourish further up in a couple of years. They have not done anything with regards to the medical or recreational use of cannabis, more so just decriminalizing. I think they may be placing a bit more focus on developing the hemp industry as they they are known for for being able to cultivate large acres of of hemp um historically speaking so i think it's just bringing that back for for them as well as introducing a new a new stream of revenue for the country a new stream of innovation as as it will allow as i said probably somebody wants to create hemp plastic straws or another type of hemp product so we're looking forward to seeing that man it's whatever whatever gets me not having to use that paper straw. I am all, <laughs> all for it, man. So we we've gotten some insights into the Florida industry. We've gotten some insights of consumership, um, both from our lens as well as things that we would like to see within the industry, and even touching on some parts that we have not spoken on as an entire industry as we should, which is the hemp industry. But we also love to to find out how you are shaping. The industry in your own way. So I know that you you would have mentioned previously when we spoke previously that you worked for a company called Green Check Verified, and they uh they essentially deal with financing and business services for cannabis companies. So I I want to find out more about that because I know that banking is a huge headache. Um, no matter where you are for as a cannabis business. So how how were you all able to navigate businesses or navigate the industry as a financial service so we at at its heart green check is a compliance company right so we have about 150 financial institutions that leverage our software to confidently and compliantly bank over 8,000 different businesses in the cannabis industry so our software plugs into the seed to sale and point of sale systems of a cannabis related business depending on where they sit in the supply chain we pull those transactions, we verify them for the bank, and they settle it with the deposits. So this way they know that there's no funny business going on. Um, because of that, we tend to be asked for help with payment processing and insurance and lending and, and payroll and anything that is typically requires a bank account to get going. So we've also created a trusted marketplace of service providers that we've vetted that people can do businesses as well. And then finally, we had acquired a, a, a an e-bank six, eight months ago. And with that e-bank, one of the features is a Zelle or PayPal type payment where it's an instant cash payment if both parties are on the platform. But it has a phenomenal invoicing system where um, I send you a digital invoice. It, it's very much like PayPal. It's not reinventing the wheel, but it's something that it, it can be used by cannabis companies. So I can send you an invoice. That invoice has a link on it. If you have a PayQuick account, you can instantly send me the money. If you don't have a PayQuick account, you put in your routing number, your bank account, it ACHs me the money. That money's in my account one, two days later. So 
um, trying to take a lot of cash and transit out of the equation. It costs a lot of money to move cash around. It's not fun. It's not safe. Um, I have friends in the state of Oregon. They have to drive four hours to go pick up large sums of cash, drive that back. You know, it's not, you, you don't want to be on the road. Yeah, that's not sustainable. Right. So, you know, we're trying to modernize and standardize the cannabis industry. I can't tell you we're not reinventing the wheel. We're just bringing the standard business services that every other industry has to cannabis. And, you know, if there are any companies out there that are hesitant on working with the industry and they want to understand the compliance um, and if they're involved in payments or or anything else like that, like, please reach out to us. We, we will show you how to do it compliantly and we can automate that for you. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. So in terms of the safe banking, how does that either improve or di- directly or indirectly um, improve the, the financial service um, side of the cannabis industry? It completely improves it, and it's it's a phenomenal opportunity for us. We think that it's going to bring more financial institutions to the table. So, candidly, I don't want to say that the Safer Banking Act doesn't do anything, but what it does is essentially just bless the shit that we've already been doing, right? So it's technically not legal to bank a cannabis company, but they're, you know, but they're doing it, right? Nobody's been shut down for it. I think maybe one bank has been shut down for it. And obviously there was some funny business going on there. But essentially there are, you know, 300-ish banks that are banking cannabis companies. There are some banks that are doing it reluctantly, meaning they had a entrepreneur that maybe had or an investor that had three, four, five business accounts with them. They got into the cannabis space and they said, you're going to bank me or I'm going to take my other business elsewhere. And they're like, okay. And they figured out how to do it. And there are banks that actually want to support the cannabis industry. And there are certainly banks that say, if we bank you, you are entitled to our full suite of services, including lending. So yes, banks are even lending to the cannabis industry. It is a myth that the banks are not working with cannabis. Now, is the lending very hard and is it very secured asset type loans? Absolutely. But there are ways that cannabis companies can get bank loans, right? Um, that's something that we have as well, too. So, you know, it's um, it's a it's a fun place to be because I get to drive the industry forward and allow entrepreneurs to work the way that entrepreneurs should be able to work and not have to deal with unnecessarily hurdles of working with a schedule one narcotic yeah man that, that's great because yeah there's a lot of fear mongering as it relates to banking doing fine financial services any cannabis industry and i'm not too sure if it's a deterrent that persons have put out there to limit the amount of people that they want in the industry but it's reassuring that um, someone who is actually in in our industry in the financial services can can share that you can do it, but again, it's just dependent upon the bank that you may be going to or the financial service provider that you may be working with. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's solid. That's solid. So what are some pieces of advice that you can give to people who want to actually enter into a cannabis business as it relates from the financial standpoint? Sure. From well, from a financial standpoint, you better know people with money. Um, unfortunately, because of the regulations, it is not a very easy to get business to get into and just bootstrap. You know, it's not like a fucking pizza shop where you can buy an oven and just start slinging pizzas and live off that profit. There's a lot of taxes, there's a lot of stuff involved. So, if you want to learn the cannabis industry, my recommendation would be to get in with another company, learn it from the inside, figure it out become the best at what you can do and then go find people with pockets or go figure out how to stack away money so you can start your own. But, you know, I wish I can say and have an inspirational story where everyone can do it. Everyone can do it, but it's going to be really fucking hard. Um, You're going to have to probably raise money at some point. It's just how it is in every market. Um, you're not bootstrapping it with a $50,000 loan from your uncle or or profits that you stuck away from a side hustle or something like that. You need a million to $2 million to start. Um, and you got you to gotta love it. 
right now at the point in time in the industry that we are, if you don't love it, you're not going to survive because the money is not there. There are certain people making profits. There are big companies that are making a lot of money because they just have a gigantic fucking scale. But there are a lot of big companies that are losing tons of money. And there are a lot of big companies that are in massive amounts of debt. Like if you do not love this, if this is what you not what you want to do over everything else in the world, by all means, please get a job in any other fucking industry because this is not the place for you. Now, on the other hand, if you love cannabis and you're good at something and you want to be in this industry and you want to advance it and this is absolutely what you want to do more than anything else in the world, then please come join us. We need good people across the globe to be in this industry, to advance this plant forward. It's what we need, but it's got to be what you love because if it's not what you love, you're not going to make it. It will chew you up and spit you out. Real, Simple. raw, and authentic, man. Yeah, that, I think people need that type of advice and information because you you start off smoking, you're telling yourself, yeah, boy, I want to join the industry. I want to be a farm. I want to have my own business, but you're not fully prepared for the reality of running a cannabis business for entering the cannabis you're, industry. You're not just smoking yeah. weed all day. If you're, if you're a dispensary, you are a retail operation. You have inventory. You have security protocols. You have hourly employees. You have clocking in, clocking out. You have to make sales. You have point-of-sale systems. You have, you're, you're open 80 hours a week. If you're a cultivator, you're a farmer. You have to deal with mold and and, 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 you know, uh, cleanliness restrictions and all this stuff. And you have to worry about, you know, particles and all that. Like it is not for the faint of heart. Even if you're building, if you're building a brand, you're competing. It is a commodity that you're trying to sell and make unique to you and build the following. Like, you know, and there are people that have been doing it for so many years and you have to be able to beat them. There are people that have been in the hills of Humboldt and, you know, in the garages of Sacramento and, and all over the rest of the country and, and in pockets around the world that they've been doing this illegally for so long. And now they can do it without looking over their shoulders. And if you think you're going to fucking wake up every day and beat them, if you don't love it, it's not going to happen. But if you love it and it becomes your art, Come on, let's do it. You meant that, man. I fully support that message. I, I fully support that message. That, that brings me to ask you, like, how does one transition from being in business and enterprise services to now having your own Elevate Your Grind podcast? How, how did that ambition come about? Oh, God. Um, to 2018, I was working for a company. It was supposed to be a venture capital fund. The fund never got off the ground. Um, the gentleman that I was partnered with, I was doing events. So we did four events. They were awesome. Great time. And that's how I started building my network. But the gentleman I was working for at the time, uh, he was interviewing a bunch of people for this book, a lot of the people that were speaking at our events. And I told him because he was recording the, the interviews like just like this on Zoom. I'm like, you know, everything you don't use for the book, you should put out as a podcast. And you know, he was very, he needed everything to be prim and proper and buttoned up and he needed to understand the plan. And, you know, I, um, I was a big Howard Stern fan growing up. I grew up in New Jersey, he, you know, Howard was in New York and I used to, when I was a kid, I used to think this guy's got the best job in the world. He wakes up every morning, he goes in the studio and he bullshits with his closest friends for four hours every morning, five days a week. And he makes a really good living doing that. He's rich. And, you know, I never thought growing up that I should go into broadcasting and do radio because that sounded like a fucking grind. And like at the time, I didn't think you can be the next Howard Stern. And, you know, if you weren't at that level, if you didn't have a national audience, it was a shit life. And that's not something I wanted to do. Or at least that's what I thought. And then it was right around that time when uh, Elon Musk was on Rogan. And I think that really opened the world of podcasts when he took the hit of weed and the stock price dropped. And I started to get into the Rogan podcast and through the Rogan podcast, I got into the fighter than kid and 
Burt Cass and Two Bears, One Caves. And I'm a huge comedy fan. So I started watching all these comedians. And um, I thought the podcast, you know, watching Rogan and watching these guys just hang out and shoot the shit. I'm like, well, I could do that. And I don't need to have a huge audience if I wanted to make money. And now, granted, I still haven't figured out the whole making money part of this. But um, I got let go from that job. The podcast never got off the ground there. And now, granted, in that situation, I wasn't going to be the host. I was going to produce it. But for the event series, I had to emcee it. He was supposed to emcee it the first night before the first event. He got cold feet, said he didn't want to do it. And I'm like, fuck it, I'll do it. Like, <laughs> the show must go on, right? Correct. And funny enough, my wife um, had, she was pregnant with our first kid, and she flew out there with me, San Diego. Um, you know, she wasn't working at the time, she was pregnant. And she was out front giving out badges and tickets. And I grabbed the mic and I welcomed everybody and I, you know, set the stage and told them where the bathrooms were and everything else. And I'm like, yeah, that was kind of cool. And I walk out and she's like, you know, she's, I'm like, that was fun. She's like, you were nervous. How could you tell? She's like, no, don't worry. Nobody else can tell, but I can tell. I can hear in your voice. You were nervous. You got to slow down, take a deep breath. You're doing great. Just, I can hear your nerves. And like, just, I don't know what it was that gave me the confidence. I went back out there started cracking jokes i was self-deprecating you know <laughs> I, i've always think i wanted to be a comic just never had the balls to get on stage i tried to it came very very close one time um so fast forward i joined a group called cannabis lab it's a networking group down here and there's a lot of really cool people a lot of i made friends with a lot of people and i told the guy in charge i said you should do a podcast he goes i have no interest but if you want to do it you can so I probably dragged my feet for about two, three months. And then he goes, pick a date. We're doing it. <laughs> so we had a guy by the name of Charles Felix. He came, set up the mic, set up the cameras. And uh, me and Rob sat down and I interviewed Rob. And we had the first episode of Elevate Your Grind. This is like January, call it January, I don't know, 10th, 2020. And next i call a gentleman by the name of brady cobb if you guys don't know who brady cobb is he's a big figure in the state of florida he's very big in the voice of politics in the united states for cannabis he grew and he built and sold one plant now he's doing it again in florida with sunburn brady was launching one plant at the time and i said hey would you be on the show you've got a great story and he said yes charles couldn't produce the show so i went out and i got a camera and i got a microphone I was a completely different microphone at the time. I had a Blue Yeti USB mic, and then I used my iPhone, and I plugged the Blue Yeti into the iPhone, and I filmed with the iPhone, and I recorded with the Blue Yeti. And actually, what I learned that day is if you get a phone call on your iPhone while you're filming something, it stops recording. <laughs> and what I also learned that day is if the uh, screen of the iPhone is facing away from you, you don't fucking know that it stopped recording. So... <laughs> Luckily, we had a secondary camera set up and we were able to splice together the footage, but we almost lost our first real episode. Um, after that episode with Brady, we had such a great time. I was hooked and I the Benzinga conference came to Florida March 2020 and I did like five more episodes, had a fucking blast and then the pandemic hit and nobody knew how to do business anymore. And nobody knew what shows were good or what moved the needle. No one knew how to do anything. And we started getting a bunch of emails and calls from a bunch of different PR companies. And I got lucky. Rosie Matteo, God bless her, from Matteo Communications, was on the show. I interviewed her. She loved the interview. And she just unleashed her client Rolodex on me. Nice. And this woman has yeah. busted her ass to build the biggest most important client list in cannabis and the caliber of guests that we were getting on the show at the time maybe had a couple hundred fucking followers and we were getting the ceos of the biggest cannabis companies in the world the biggest investors in cannabis and getting to interview them. and it was just so much fun and while the world was shut down i got to have conversations with 150 of the top minds in cannabis and i would do the show sometimes five a week sometimes i'd record eight a week I fell in love with podcasting and uh, I've been doing it almost four years now. Um, 250 episodes, you know, 
Um, I have not been as consistent with it as I would like. I suck at marketing the thing. So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to promote it. But the days that I get to podcast are the happier days of my life. Um, it's fun. And I think I'm decent at it. And maybe one day, that's what everybody will know me for. So we'll see. Yeah, claim, claim it, man. And I don't need... Let me let me preface. I hate the fucking attention, but I love the attention that the art gets. And I don't know if you feel this way. I love when an episode blows up. I love when it's popular. I love when people comment on it. But I don't personally like the attention. But it's very <laughs> ironic considering the whole content centers around me, right? So who knows if people can believe me or not. Though I, if no one else believes you, Trust and believe I fully relate to everything you just said. It's it's definitely one of the most enjoyable experiences that I have ventured into. And I, I don't think I, I'll see myself stopping anytime soon because I, as you said, it's really just having great conversations with some with some persons that sometimes you don't even think you would have met them because I've had some conversations with CEOs of com- companies in the Caribbean just looking at them a couple of years ago saying yeah but i would love to actually meet these people i'd love to, to actually find out yeah. more about it and to actually be there now interviewing those persons having conversations with them and actually getting further within the industry and understanding it from different lengths yeah it's it's a great experience that i don't think many persons get but if you are getting the experience take it with an open mind and and just enjoy it I love the opportunity. I love the position that it puts me in. I love what I've benefited from. I love when the show gets fans. I love seeing the show get fans. I don't like having fans. I'm, I'm the worst. Someone will come up to me at like a conference or something like, Oh, I watched your interview with like Ted Lighty. I'm like, Oh, sweet. Well, you don't have anything better to do with your time. What's wrong with you? Oh, I hate on my own fans, man. It's not good. It, it, it comes to the territory. It comes to the territory. We may not we, we may not like the attention, but we definitely love when our show gets the appreciation, the support. I yeah. do it. I do it for the guests, mm-hmm. and I think that's why people continue to do my show because they have a good time. And like, I hope the audience likes it. Like, that'd be great if the audience like it too. But if the guest has a good time and and the guest likes it, then I've done my job. Amen to that, bro. Amen to that. I know, but you have been a phenomenal guest, really and truly. You've given us a lot of information. You've kept it real, raw, and authentic, and that's what we always um, promote. So, yeah, you you've been great, man. So, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing your your podcast grow even further. Um, possibly being on it at some point in time and also linking up in person in, in future, man. Dude, I had one of the best, one of, one of the most fun weed times I ever had in my life was in Jamaica. I was staying um, in the Half Moon Bay Resort and it was a, a work trip. It was a top performers trip and they had these villas that had like six rooms in it and it was all like the younger people in the room and we all wanted to be the cool person. So, Every single one of us, before we before we even got to the villa, we all had bought weed individually somehow. And we get to the villa, and I tell you, the second morning we were there, I sat at the table and I rolled, I don't know, 50 to 70 joints. And we literally, for the entire time we were there, we had a bowl in the living room of just the joints that I rolled. And people would come by and take them. And we, if you needed some, we'd grab a handful and shit, like smoked all over the resort. It was a really good time. And that's how vacation should be. Like candidly, obviously it wasn't exactly legal. So all this was hypothetical, but like, that's how I should vacation should be. That's how life should be enjoyed. Yeah, full on, man, full on. So, but before, before we even begin to, to close, uh, there's, a, there's always a part of our podcast where we kind of turn away from the business side of things. We turn away from our work life and just kind of get to know the person, the guest a bit more and that human side of things. So what we want to ask you is when you are not podcasting, when you are not in venture capital, what is something that you do to, to just free, free your mind, free yourself? 
smoke weed. Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 that, I knew I knew that would be the number one the number one answer. No, yeah. um, I, I, you know, I have two kids. They're they're four and two, and they're awesome. And I like to spend time with them. You know, uh, I wish. I, I play. I like to play golf. I like to be outside. I like to hang out with friends. College football, pro football, but yeah, you know, I I smoke weed and I like to hang out with my family. That is, uh, make food and eat food. I think weed and food go together very, very 100%, well. One hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good, man. But nothing. There's nothing better than smoking before a great meal. Mm-hmm. And and comedy. Uh, I'm not going to I say that. Yeah, I'm not going to mention comedy. Yeah. I love stand-up comedy. Uh, it's it is my favorite art form. It's my favorite thing to watch. Um, I'm obsessed with comedians. I'm obsessed with the jokes and and being funny. And you know, I, I think the people who think comedy is mean, well, I think they're idiots. <laughs> what? Give us give us one of your best best um jokes. Oh, we're not doing. That. <laughs> nah, we're, we're not doing that. Nah, I I, I think um, we need at least one man. I think we need at least one. No, 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 no. These are these are unworked bits that have never been tested in front of an audience, and a lot of them are about some super controversial topics. So we're not we're not going to get canceled because here's the thing with comedy that people don't understand: what is said inside the what is said inside of a comedy club in context of knowing that you're there to laugh at things that are absurd does not belong in the internet for everybody. So Mm -hmm. my view and what a lot of the comedians view, if you were buying a ticket to see a comedy show, you know what you're getting into. You put that same thing on the internet and then everybody gets to see it. And a lot of people don't want to see it. So you can't put those jokes in front of the wrong audiences. (laughs) I'll have to get it off here, man. I'll have to get it off here. Sure. Yeah, but Todd, it it has been a a great pleasure having you on as I guess for, for this episode. You have shared your passion, you have shared your expertise, and you have given us something to look forward to, um, especially from the financial side, like removing that myth and that fear that you know the financial services, this big no-go zone, etc., as it relates to, to cannabis, um, as well as sharing the, the history of, of your podcast and how it came about. And it's always inspiring hearing persons share their their stories, their origins as to how they began something and why they do it. Uh, it, it helps to, to add that human touch and that relatability. And who knows, we might have somebody who comes up with the hemp plastic straw and all, all, all Todd is asking oh. for is just a little, a little credit. He doesn't need any money. Just shout out his name. If anything positive <laughs> from the, comes from this episode, I hope it is the hemp plastic straw billionaire that we've created. Yeah, that's definitely one of the biggest the biggest innovations that we would create in our time, man. Somebody might be a billionaire now. It, the Powerball just got drawn for $1.7 billion. It's 10 o'clock. It's not me. I know that. But someone might be a billionaire right. that's not inventing. Well, for that person, big up yourself and do good with the money. Yeah. There we go. So before we close, Todd, is there anything that you just want to leave with the guests? Let me guess uh, with our audience. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you also watch my podcast, Elevate Your Grind. Find it youtube.com slash Elevate Your Grind or UIG pod on any social media. But um, listen, you know, the world is stigmatic about weed. And it's absolutely ridiculous because some of the most successful people in the world we're cannabis users. They've used psychedelics. Um, and I'm talking about people who, the people who have built unicorn companies. And if somebody, if you're going to say that somebody's lazy that can build Apple or Microsoft or, you know, my former business partner, Ricky Williams, who is a hold, held the Heisman Trophy and the rushing title. And then you got folks like, um, you know, Julian Edelman and you got, uh kevin durant that are are telling you that Dwayne wade they're telling you that they can consume and they're performing at the highest level at what point at what fucking point do we drop this stigma that weed makes you lazy at the end of the day the people who smoke weed and sit on the couch and do nothing all day it's not because they smoke weed that just happens to be something that they also do those people would sit on the couch and be lazy all day no matter what they did they just so happen to smoke weed. So let's drop the snag. Let's normalize weed and 
Let's move the world forward, my friend. Yeah, couldn't end on a better note, man. That will be about meditating, educating, and removing the stigma of weed one conversation at a time. So, everyone, again, we want to thank you for joining us on this episode of the Caribbean Cannabis Channel. Be sure to like and subscribe, share this episode with your friends, as well as someone that you think would be beneficial to hear this type of content. And be sure to check out Elevate Your Grind. We would attach the links um, in our show notes below for you to check out further. All right. So until next time, peace. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Caribbean Cannabis Channel. Be sure to like and subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook so you don't miss out on any of the exciting news happening across the region. Until next time, remember to meditate and educate.